Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the See It To Be It podcast. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey, and super excited to be with you this month with another incredible role model. This month, we have Erin Quick, who is the CEO and co-founder of Pear Tree, and she is in the adoption industry, and she is looking to disrupt how adoptions happen. And we are going to dive in and talk to her about that in a little bit. But first of all, let's welcome Erin. Hi, happy to be here. Thank you. Really happy for you to be here as well. And I'd love for you just to kind of go way back and tell us what was your big dream when you were growing up? What did you think you were going to be when you were a little girl? I was convinced I was going to be an interior designer. I don't know where that trailed off in my path, but it might be when I got to college, just in general, I was like, oh, there's so many other options here. I didn't know that they were jobs. What excited you about interior design? I am very right-brained and left-brained, almost split right down the middle. I love the formulaic side of interior design, but I also love the creativity of patterns and colors and putting it all together. And that is such a gift, especially the spatial part. I will tell you that I cannot figure out what can go where in a room. I'm okay with like the decor part once it gets going, but my husband's like, oh yeah, we're going to get this, you know, sofa. And he's like, honey, like no way is that even going to come close to fitting in here. I have no spatial. So that is such a gift. There might be a third career in you. What do you think? (laughs) Well, if you saw my house today, you'd be like, really? Interior design? (laughs) (laughs) I think that goes for all of us. It's always like, oh man, you know, it's a lot. It's always the last thing to be done. But yeah, um, mine is yeah. now because it's just, our house is just strewn with kid stuff. There's just kid stuff everywhere. Mm, that happens. Well, tell us a little bit about your career trajectory after you you threw interior design out the window and like you know, tell us just about your career trajectory and how you ended up founding a company that focuses on adoption. Sure. The path for me was I went to college after high school and didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I ended up dropping out after my sophomore year and I started working in Seattle and I just kind of by luck, I found myself in a marketing department filling in for a gal while she was on maternity leave and just fell in love with the idea of marketing. And and so while I had intentions of going back to school, I was at this marketing group for about a year and a half. And then I recruited into an advertising agency. The owner of that advertising agency actually told me at one point, he said, you aren't superficial enough for advertising. You ask too many why questions. Advertising is more temporary and you want to get to like the root issue of everything that you need to be in brand strategy. And so he helped me get a job at a big brand agency in San Francisco. And so I went through kind of like dot-com boom and bust there. And at the bust, they asked me to move to New York. And so I spent some time there and loved it. Like getting really, really deep into like, you know, what is the organizing principle or idea of this company? And these companies were these huge global entities, but like, what's the one thing they want to be known for? And how do you seed that throughout the organization? I was there for seven or eight years between San Francisco and New York, and then decided to move back to Seattle in 2005. And no one in Seattle was doing brand strategy the way that I had just been taught. And so it took me about a year to kind of get the bearings in Seattle. But then I found a guy that really understood it more so than even the the people that had taught me. And so he and I founded a brand strategy firm in Seattle and grew it, ran it all the way through 2019 when I sold it to focus Mm -hmm. on territory. Very cool. In fact, I just read a book recently called Creating Your Brand Story. And 
I was just really fascinated because I hadn't ever thought of it in that way. And the process Mm -hmm. you go through to really Mm -hmm. think about and how you get people to understand your brand. I think that, you know, I often say we drink a whole lot of our own Kool-Aid and we think that our little 60 second elevator pitch about what we do makes sense or makes people care. And 99 times out of 100, it doesn't. So I know that that is a very needed skill set. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, and we can talk about this later, but it's strange how many similarities there are between kind of building a big global corporate brand and marketing yourself in adoption. The common denominator there is we tell people, you know, corporate brand people and people that are building their profiles on Pear Tree that you need to be more afraid of being the same as everyone than you are of being different than everyone. Well, that's a great segue to talk about. So talk about Pear Tree, the whole concept behind it and just what it is and how you got into this. The reason I got into it was because we went through it twice and like one in eight couples now in the United States were diagnosed with infertility. We tried to get pregnant for a year and nothing worked. And then we kind of graduated into reproductive technology and went through literally every protocol that existed there multiple times. And so ended up spending about three years and $75,000 there. And I could get pregnant. I just couldn't stay pregnant. And so after it was our third miscarriage, my husband and I kind of looked at each other and we said, this is like beating our heads against a wall. Like, let's stop. It doesn't make sense to us anymore. And we'd always said we wanted to adopt. And so we moved into the adoption space thinking it was going to be easier than what we'd tried previously. And we're just floored when we realized it's three times as expensive as IVF. The average adoption is 40 to $60,000 in the US mm-hmm. and that it takes you know, 24 months. And having been trying to build a family for five years at that point, I was like, I can't wait another two years. So we were in this like incredibly lucky position where we had some family friends tell us, you don't have to use the conventional method to adopt. Like you can kind of go on your own and build your own team and find your own expectant mom. And if you can do it that way, the fees drop from 40 to 60,000 down to on average 15 and the timeline can be, you know, incredibly fast. Right. And so we chose that method just felt better for us because it just gave us more control over the process. Mm -hmm. And so we did it. We hired a social worker. We're in Washington state. So we hired a social worker to approve us to adopt, which is the necessary first element in any adoption. And then we hired an attorney and we said, we'll call you when we need you. And then the kind of daunting part is we set out to connect with an expectant mom who was looking to place. How do you go about doing that? Like, how would you even, I mean, you put it on Facebook. I mean, what? Yes. Yes. And yes. So it's a good question. And I try to be really honest with people about this because I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say it out loud, but I mean, I didn't know. I thought like, are we hanging out at a high school, you know, or like, what are we, what are we doing? But there are, and, and now Pear Tree is one of the best, but there are kind of at the time there's like match.com equivalents that focused on adoption. And so we built an online profile just like you would if you were online dating. So we built an online profile and literally within two weeks, we were contacted by a woman who was 38 weeks pregnant. It was a Wednesday. And she's like, can you be in Michigan on Saturday? And my husband was like, sure. And so we flew out there, met her and the birth dad, had this wonderful weekend with them. And a week later, our son was born. And so we flew back out there. So it went very, very fast for us. And so we did it again, three years later, exact same process, also very fast, also an incredible birth family. And having gone through it twice and having these great experiences, people just started reaching out to us saying, teach us, how did you do it? We started helping other families go through it, just kind of pro bono and spare time. And then 
I looked into it one day because I was like, I just wonder how, what this market is like thinking it was small. And I realized it's a $17 billion industry in the U.S. It's huge and horribly inefficient. And there's not a lot of equity in adoption right now because it's so expensive. Just people just don't have access to it. Right. It's so many other issues. There's scams that were really prevalent. And so for me, with my brand background and having kind of built a lot of digital tools for these big corporate companies, I was like, this, there's an opportunity for technology to make this way more efficient and you know, therefore way more enjoyable. And so that was kind of the seed for Pear Tree. And now we're about a year and a half in and you know, just launching the platform, the first of its kind platform where we provide all the services a family would need to navigate a domestic private adoption in the U.S. So what are all of those services? Legal, obviously the social worker, so they can get certified. Yeah. So there's three major milestones and we actually see four. So the first three that everyone has always kind of known about are one, if you're an adopting family, you have to be approved to adopt in your state. And that's been, you know, historically paperwork laden, tons of logistics. You know, you get emailed 30 different forms and you're like, get it done. And you don't know where to start. And so a lot of people actually drop out of the process at that point because they don't know. We've taken that process and moved it all online to like very simple. It's kind of similar to like a turbo tax. So you have tasks that you get through and the social workers watching you the whole time. And, and so we're, and then we connect people to licensed social workers and help them walk through that process. So that's milestone number one, product number one. Number two is matching. And if you think about online dating, our tool is very similar. We do a few things differently, like personality-based matching, because as you can imagine, these are huge decisions that an expectant mom is making. When we were doing a bunch of research with expectant moms, they were asking like, can't you give us more meatier information on these families other than just, you know, like a pretty picture and some words. And so we built a proprietary tool that is based on personalities because personality is the leading indicator of behavior. So to give the expectant mom something to kind of see around the corner with these families, we do a few other things differently as well, but matching is milestone two. Mm -hmm. Uh, Three is legal. So we've curated a network of the very best adoption attorneys and agencies in the US. And so we can connect families and expectant moms to make sure they both have their good and separate legal representation. And then the fourth milestone that isn't widely talked about right now, but we think is hugely important is what we call Pear Tree Family, but it's the support tool. So most adopting families concentrate on getting through, and birth families too, concentrate on getting through milestone three. Like the legal happens, adoption's been finalized, and everybody thinks like, okay, good, done. That's actually when it gets really hard. So that's when, as an adoptive family, you need a ton of support based on your stage. And birth families, this is a huge decision that they just made that they're dealing with almost every day for the rest of their lives. So they need tons of support too. And there aren't any tools or technology to help them navigate those journeys. So that's the the fourth tool that we'll be building and hopefully launching next year. That's amazing. And so it's about, I guess you bring these different communities together, like a peer support community. Is that sort of what you're providing resources? And yeah, so right now, I mean, we offer a ton of education. So we've partnered with kind of the the Harvard of adoption education to make sure all of our families have access to unlimited education courses that are based on their stage. So that's available to all of our families right now. We offer adoptive parent support groups. We offer expectant mom and birth parent support groups on a monthly basis expert authored content and groups that we bring in, authors that we bring in, we make those available to our community. But I think going forward, like some of the things that aren't addressed at all in the industry right now that we'd like to bring to the market are things like medical history. 
as an adoptive parent, if I take my kids to the doctor, the first question they ask me is like, well, what's the family history? And I don't know. But birth families, 90% of adoptions are open. So birth family and adoptive families work together in service to these children. And so birth families would happily provide that information. There's just no kind of way to connect those two things right now. So things like ancestral information, like the 23andMe style stuff that really aid in developing a healthy identity in an adoptee, it's not done easily right now. Right. Very fascinating. And you talked about your, I guess, just for you know how fast both of yours happen. Is that the norm? I mean, what happened that a mother was 38 weeks and had she not made that decision? Did decision do, do others fall through? Like what's that crux of that issue there? So there's a couple of things that happen. So the way that the conventional method has been set up, the incentives are kind of misaligned. So when an expectant woman walks into say an adoption agency, and I just want to huge caveat this with, there are some amazing adoption agencies that are hugely ethical in the United States. It's just the process is a little bit strange right now. So when an expectant mom walks into an agency, that agency has families that have paid them huge sums of money to connect them to an expectant mom. And so the agency is almost financially incentivized to have that woman place her child with one of their families, kind of regardless of whether or not it's a good fit for her. And so what happens is a lot of expectant moms will sign up for that process and, you know, kind of fall into the warm arms of the agency while she's pregnant. And at the last minute, this doesn't feel right. This isn't the family I want. And so she does change her mind. And that happens 20% of the time right now. So it's high. The family waiting families or the adopting families don't get their money back in that case. So it's just bad all the way around. And so what we've been trying to do is figure out like, where are those misalignments in terms of incentives? And like, let's take them away so that expectant moms are given the most choice instead of like, here's the families that we have. Like what Pear Tree does is we unlock the nation of adopting families to her and say, get picky. What is important to you? Because you're going to be connected to this family for the rest of your life. And so it really matters that you get what you want in terms of what that family looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. And so do you think that that's going to eventually, you know, I mean, if we think about, we, we sort of do everything in this, this self-automated, you know, and all these platforms. No, I mean, adoption agencies will always have a role. I mean, there's a lot of work that adoption agencies put in, especially the incentives around matching are, I think, what will eventually change in adoption agencies. But, you know, in probably half of the states in the U.S., you can only adopt if you use an adoption agency. So Paratree has partnered with a lot of adoption agencies, mm. to help, okay. especially on kind of the matching component and getting families approved component. We're partnering with a lot of agencies to help their families go through that more efficiently. I think they'll, like a lot of agencies will go through an evolution, but like Paratree is not going to replace them. It's just, you know, figuring out how, how to use tools and platforms like Paratree to make adoption agencies more efficient. Is the, the challenge of... Roe versus Wade and what's happening there, is that going to change the adoption industry if that ends up being? It will for sure change the adoption industry because, you know, if women in 23 states right now have three choices right now and it goes down to two and adoption is one of those choices, it will for sure change the face of adoption. Remains to be seen how, but I think, you know, we're doing everything we can to make sure that for women that are in those states that they know that unfortunately their choices are being limited, but that they do still have a choice to make and, you know, trying to make that experience if they choose adoption, trying to make that experience the best it possibly can be for them. Absolutely. I would imagine it's going to be an interesting time going forward. So what are some of the, just, I guess, you know, as we sort of 
close up here, like, what would you love to see in an ideal world? What would this whole adoption process be like? What would be some of the key things that would change? Well, we're changing them, but I think obviously there's some big meta issues with adoption. One of them has always been access that, you know, an access is a little bit prismatic because there's one component of access that's about cost that because the cost has been so high, adoption has only been an option to people with wealth and that's a problem. Or, you know, people that are willing to go into significant debt. We talk to families all the time that said that they cash in their 401k because they wanted to be able to afford adoption. Those are heartbreaking stories. I would imagine that like you, many of those families have have tried IVF or other things ahead of that, which is also, you know, very costly and sends a lot of people into debt. Hugely. The other kind of prismatic side of access is that the adoption industry historically has been incredibly faith-based. And so they can pick and choose the families that they work with. And sadly, a lot of LGBTQ families, Mm. single person families, older families aren't allowed to participate in that process. And so I think for us, making sure that we can bring the cost down, our goal is to bring it down. So that's on par with giving birth to a child in a hospital. And our secondary goal there is to make sure that it's an employer benefit, which we can talk about too. And then in terms of access, it's just making sure that all people have a path to parenthood via adoption on pear tree. Very cool. I am curious about employer benefit because I know that there are a lot of companies that are, you know, making things that were not normally accessible for parents in the workplace. They're, you know, private companies. So tell me, how are you doing that? Yeah. So we early on, this is big for us. So early on, we partnered with Carrot Fertility, which is one of the world's leading fertility and family building benefits companies in the world. And so any of our families who have coverage via Carrot. So if their employer has partnered with Carrot for fertility and family building, Peritree becomes a reimbursable expense to them. And so those are the kind of relationships that we're trying to continue to build with you know, fertility and family building benefits packages, because what's happening is you know, infertility is on the rise. And then so are you know, families that are LGBTQ. And so you have a lot of families that aren't trying to get pregnant to build their family now. It's up to 5 million a year. And so, you know, inclusivity is a huge word that's thrown around right now, especially with HR and benefits companies. If you don't have a solid option for adoption, you don't have an inclusive family building plan. And so that's for us a big goal. And, you know, 5 million families in the US, that's a lot of families that are having to come out of pocket to build their families. It sounds absolutely incredible. And I'm sure that, you know, you're going to be making a lot of families really, really happy going forward. And that's wonderful. So congratulations. And as we close up, you're also obviously an entrepreneur. You've jumped into this entrepreneurial world, right? You're building a company and building it out of your passion. If there was a piece of advice that either you were given and you always follow or something that you like to give out, what would you say to our listeners today just about following their passions and their dreams? Yeah. I feel like people ask me this all the time. And I I mean, this sounds like the simplest advice, but do it. I think that's like the major difference between people that talk about like, I have the best idea and people that become startup founders is they just do it. I gave myself, I said, okay, I'm six months in terms of building out a pitch deck, finding venture capital, putting together a plan. Like if I could do it in six months or get some traction in six months, I'd pursue it. If I couldn't, I said, good. I tried it. I gave it my all and that was it. But I think that's the major difference between you know people that become entrepreneurs and people that don't is just that last step, which is 
You can do all the planning, but if you don't actually take the first step, you're never going to get there. Right. No, it's so true. And it's really sort of the mission behind this podcast, See It to Be It, is that you've got to continue to tell the stories. And I can't tell you, I mean, countless times people have come up to me and said, oh my gosh, I decided to launch this business or I decided to leave this or whatever. They made a major decision because they saw someone else like them that was doing that same thing. And sometimes it just takes being able to see that. So I appreciate you sharing your story so openly. And we certainly will be watching everything that Pear Tree is doing in the future. Thank you. Thanks for giving us the chance to share. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week. And check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.